my prayers for you is that the Lord will give you understanding in everything in what we hear today. We begin a new series. We closed our series last week, Guarding the Gospel. Now we come to our new series, Suffer for the Gospel, which will be four weeks together as we look in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. You know, when we're talking about suffering, it makes me ask the question, how do I view suffering? What, what comes to your mind and what's on your heart when we talk about suffering? You know, is suffering when you don't get what you ask for? Is suffering when you got to sit on a pew that's uncomfortable for a long time because the preacher keeps going on and on and on, all right? Is suffering when you lose a family member? Of course it is. You know, we see suffering in the United States, and, and a lot of times I'll make the comment that we don't, we don't truly understand what suffering is all about, but we do, we do encounter suffering to some extent. But you've got to understand that when we're reading this letter and when we're breaking apart this passage today, this is being written by someone who's sitting in jail, in a dark cell, probably chained to a Roman guard, and he knows. He knows that any day now, he doesn't, he doesn't know the exact day, but he knows that any day, he could be called up from Nero, and he would have to go give an account. And his account is this, that I love Jesus Christ, and I'm unashamed of Jesus Christ, and that he is so caught up in the affections of Jesus Christ that he doesn't care about the afflictions that are placed upon him. And he is willing to give his life, and in fact, he did give his life. That's suffering. And so he's writing to young Timothy. We, we recognize him as timid Timothy, and many times we ourselves can be timid Timothys. We can be afraid, right? Unsure of what it may cost us if we truly wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ. And he's encouraging young Timothy. He says, hey, share in the sufferings. So what does that mean to share in the suffering? Is it like the, the Pharisees that when they would fast, they would paint their faces and they would put on this downcast look to where everybody would see them and think, oh man, these are, are righteous people who are suffering through fasting. So they would take things that were meant to, to be righteous and they would make them self-righteous. And that was their way of suffering. Maybe, maybe that's what he meant. But no. Or would it be like Martin Luther in, in, the, in the time of the Reformation, the 1600s, when, when he's a, a priest and he's trying to fast every day and he's trying to consume as much of the word as he can he wears sackcloth, and he has this funny-looking haircut. And he thinks that all of this is going to draw him closer to God until he realizes that it's not by works, but it's by God's grace. Is, is that suffering, that when we try to do all of these things to gain God's affections, to gain God's love? No, that's, that's not what he's talking about. Maybe we do bring it modern day, and, and, or we go back a, a couple decades, back to the 80s and to the early 90s, when Carmen and D.C. Talk and all these these guys who started singing Christian music and we're thinking, hey man, if they're going to sing Christian music, that means we got to put away all the ACDC and Ace of Bass and whatever it may be that you listen to. Who listened to Ace of Bass back today? Anybody? Okay, there we go. We got our faithfuls in here, right? And then you, you had your youth group gathering and, and you were going to have a CD burning that night so you could let the past go and, and that was suffering. I mean, you had tears when you saw that Ace of Bass CD going in flames, right? And we think that that's, that's suffering. And that's hard for us to endure. You think, hey, uh -uh, I suffer because I only listen to Christian radio, you know. That is suffering at times, okay. I'm going to admit, you, you, you suffer 
you do suffer. And look, I'm not giving license to say that Christian music is bad, okay? I'm just saying that sometimes we look at our view of suffering as, man, I've got to take on this legalistic activity in my life. And so you're suffering for Jesus by taking away some temporary pleasures. I mean, for some of you, if your direct TV ever left, you wouldn't know what to do about life, right? And so we're thinking about modern-day suffering in the United States, and we're trying to put ourselves back into this letter when Paul is telling Timothy, hey, share in the suffering. So let's have the right mindset, shall we? It's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him his life. He's saying, hey, Timothy, come with me. I mean, just as he closed out what for us, chapter 1, it was just a constant letter for him sending to Timothy. But at the end of chapter 1, he, he already said that all of Asia has turned away. And then you've had Hermogenes and Phygelus who have, who have led the charge. Those guys have abandoned that, you know, they've done me much harm. They, they, they've gone. There's Onesiphorus who was faithful. And we still don't know if, if Onesiphorus lost his life because he went and visited Paul in Rome to encourage him, that he went right into the teeth of, of persecution to minister to one of his beloved brothers in Christ. But you see this faithfulness, this sharing in the suffering. And so when we're talking about suffering for the gospel, we're talking about something that is real church. And it's going to take us to a place that you may not be comfortable with, but you need to be in. You need to be in this place in the right attitude to suffer when you are free and when you will suffer in persecution. Because we can think that what we have here in the United States will always last. But it can change in a matter of days. But even in the midst of our freedom will we suffer for Christ? Will we be completely yielded to His will in our lives? So this we open with, and then I ask you this question as we're looking at suffering for the gospel are you gaining strength from within? Because if you're going to suffer for the gospel, you need to be strong. Suffering for the gospel is not for the weak. Because the weak, they run, they scatter. But for the strong, those who are strong in Christ, they will suffer for the gospel, no matter what it costs. So you must be strengthened from within. Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace so he begins this, you then, which means he is moving, transitioning from the gloomy account of Phygelus and Hermogenes. After encouraging Timothy to remember Onesiphorus, he is now reminding Timothy of the attitude that he must maintain in the midst of suffering. So when we're looking at these seven verses today, we're, we're focusing on the attitude of the one who will suffer for Christ. So as you're taking notes and, as, and you're taking mental notes and, and you're taking this into your heart, I hope and pray that you will say, this is the attitude that I must maintain at all times. So whether times of peace or times of turmoil, I will be prepared to suffer no matter what the cost. And he speaks of grace. Grace is a gift to us and acted in many ways. Four that I would point out to you today. One, grace seeks us out. It seeks out. God's grace sought us out. We see Peter, who mentions this in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you understand that? We are a people. We, we, we are grafted into this. We come into this being a holy nation because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And we become his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. 
You hear that? It was by His grace that we were called out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of this receiving mercy, being called from light or darkness into light, is through His grace. He seeks us out. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You were called into this fellowship. You just didn't wander into this fellowship and stumble into this fellowship. The three that were baptized today, they've been among us for a couple months, one for a year. They just didn't stumble in here by accident. No, there was a calling and there was a drawing. And in the moment when they repented to follow Jesus Christ, they heard the gospel clearly. This was by His grace. God's grace. He seeks us out. And then He saves and sets us apart. 2 Timothy 1.9, as we looked at last week, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. By His grace, He saves us and sets us apart. Why does He do this? Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. He sets us apart, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So He saves and sets us apart by His grace, and through His grace, He also seals us. We see this in Ephesians 1.13, we see this in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are sealed, we are preserved, we are taken care of. You don't have to wonder, do I still have my salvation today, or did I lose it by doing something today? Did I really mess up? No, we're sealed until the day of redemption because of God's grace. So He seeks us out, calls us, saves us, sets us apart, seals us. Do you see how grace is working here? Okay? But not only does He seal us until the day of redemption, but He strengthens us. Our sanctification, our, our growing in Jesus Christ, being strengthened from within. And this is through His grace. You see, grace is enacted in many ways. So when you speak of grace, may there be this love in your heart for Jesus Christ, what God has lavished upon you, the hope that you have in him. And the truth is this, if you do not have grace working in you, you have not been sought out, if you have not been saved, if you have not been set apart, if you have not been sealed, you will not be strengthened from within. You may be here today, and you're weak. Now, you may be strong on the outside, but you're weak on the inside because you are not being strengthened from within by God's grace. You know what's going to happen? When temptation comes, when turmoil comes, when persecution comes, you will fall away. You will run. You will scatter. How will we know those who are truly his followers of Christ? Those who stand in the midst of persecution. The ones who run and scatter are not honored. As Paul has written, they've, they've gone. They've, they've fled. Do not be like them, Timothy, but you share in the suffering. What you have is real. I am sure of it. That's how he opened this letter. I'm sure of it. You stand strong. You see, we live in a, a culture even today where we're so fascinated with our outer appearance, right? And, and being strong on the outside. I mean, people post how many miles they run each day on Facebook and, and their wad. It's workout of the day for those of you who are not part of CrossFit culture and nation, right? And, and, and you post your workouts. So every, I don't know why people do that. I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you just want everybody to know you worked out that day and that's good. But we're fascinated by it. That everybody can see that we're strong on the outside. 
I mean, not just men, women too. I mean, you watch CrossFit Games on ESPN, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever it is, and these ladies, they're strong. I wouldn't fight them, okay? But we're, we're fascinated by being strong on the outside and appearing to be strong on the outside. But when it comes to standing for Christ in the midst of heavy persecution, it doesn't matter if you're strong on the outside. It matters if you're strong on the inside first. And if you're strong on the inside, then comes the strength for you to enact obedience. See, it's, it's drawing close to Christ. But those who have never been followers of Christ, but maybe appear to be followers of Christ, they will fall away. Mark 4, 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. These people appear to be excited about Jesus. But when, when the time of testing of the faith comes, they're gone. This is scary when you come across a passage like this. Because you sit there and go, okay, God, seriously, am I a Christian? You want to know. What you can hold to is his grace and being strengthened from within. His grace when you have believed in what Jesus Christ has done and you've repented of your old sins. Of being a sinner. We say sins. Of being a sinner. The good and the bad, whatever we've done, everything we've done has been apart from his grace. And we repent of all of that and say, I want to live under your grace. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be yours. Do you have that testimony today? And if you do, would you stand boldly in that testimony? To be strengthened, to be strengthened from within, which will make its way out. A bold spirit produces bold actions. And this comes when we abide in Christ, John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So are you even trying right now to be a Christian apart from Jesus Christ? Because apart from him, you can do nothing. I've heard testimonies over the past few weeks and past few months of people who say, yes, I'm a Christian. And you ask them about, okay, tell me, share with me the gospel. Surely you must know how to explain the gospel if you say that you're a Christian. And when you begin to share the gospel and you mention nothing of Jesus Christ, it leads one to seriously doubt whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you begin to describe why you were a Christian, and you begin to explain the gospel, Jesus Christ is the hero all throughout that story. Jesus Christ, the hero in your life. Is he the center of your life? Does he bring grace into your life? And are you strengthened from that grace from the inside out? The next question is this. Are you entrusting the gospel to faithful men? So with this strength, being strengthened by God's grace, are you entrusting the gospel to faithful men? Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a, a deposit. It, what, what Paul spoke of guarding the good deposit in which was entrusted to others. He is saying, hey, entrust this to faithful followers. Jesus Christ entrusted this deposit to Jesus or to Paul. And Paul entrusted this deposit to Timothy. And Timothy is to entrust this deposit to other faithful men. And then those faithful men are to entrust that deposit to other 
faithful men. And through the line, until there comes a time when there is a faithful man who entrusted the good deposit to me. And then today, I stand before you and I am trusting the good deposit to you. And that you take the good deposit and you go and you entrust it to others. Your family and your friends and your neighbors and your workers around you. We trust the good deposit. We, we pass it on. It keeps going. It's preserved. I may lose my life for following Jesus Christ, but the message will never die. That is the good news. That is the good news. We believe in something that will never die, that goes on through eternity. In fact, when we face physical death, man, we just keep living throughout all of eternity with Christ. That's our hope. A hope that does not disappoint. And so... We are to entrust the gospel to faithful men. It's like the Olympics. Anybody watching the Olympics right now? They say it's not getting good. Okay, got one. Okay, two. That's, that's about how it's going right now. So, uh, man, our, our, our Olympic speed skating team, man, they had to change their uniforms. It was too slow for them, you know, so maybe that helped last night. Did it? Did we do better? It, okay. Uniforms don't matter, right? Okay, so... Um, but there's a torch that's passed along all the way up until the Olympics, and then it gets to the big moment. And, and for in 96, I remember in 96, um, Muhammad Ali comes, and, and he takes the torch, and, man, he passes it on to the big torch, and the big torch is lit, you know? And, the, and they brought the torch through all the different towns, and I remember, I can't remember what Olympics it is. I think it was back in Atlanta. Uh, but they, they brought the torch through Byron, Georgia, of all places, one stoplight, two Waffle Houses, okay? And so they're bringing the torch through Byron, Georgia, and I'm running with the torch, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. Take a photo, right? And so I have that photo somewhere. Um, and it, it finally makes its way to Atlanta. And, and, and they come inside the stadium, and then they, they march it up to the top, and then they light the big torch, and boom, and everybody's excited. That torch was passed all throughout the, the world. And so it comes to that time where the big torch is lit. And in the same way, when the gospel was entrusted to Paul and then to Timothy and to the faithful followers and faithful followers and faithful followers through all the generations, and then it comes to this generation, and we take the gospel and we entrust it to others, one day, on that day, on judgment day, the big torch will be lit and his glory will be revealed and it has been passed on and passed on, passed on to his glory. That is what we await. And we will celebrate. That's good news. So we suffer for the gospel. Are you neglecting your first responsibility when it comes to suffering for the gospel? Are you neglecting your first responsibility? We can get caught up in many things when it comes to being a follower of Christ. We can get distracted. Number four, or in verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When we see this soldier and, and, and Paul would, would know these soldiers very well. He came in contact with them. He was probably chained to one, as we've said. He would see their faithfulness and their, and their loyalty to their emperor, to their king. And how they were not to get caught up in the small matters of the things that were going inside the city walls. Because if they got caught up in the things going inside the city walls, they would forget their first responsibility. And that was to protect the city. And that was to go forth in whatever they were called to do. See, sometimes we get caught up in the city walls of this world and we forget that there's something much bigger than what's going on on planet Earth or let's just go smaller into planet little Valdosta, Georgia, and we can't look beyond that. And we forget our first responsibility, church, that it's much greater than what's happening here today. But it's something that's going on and has been going on throughout all of eternity. 
When God spun this world into existence, he spoke this world into existence, and it has its being for a time period, and then there will be the earth passing away and a new heaven and a new earth to come. You see, we can't forget our first responsibility. There's something much bigger than what's going on in our little worlds each day. And have we neglected that? Have we gotten our eyes off of Jesus? Have we become distracted? Timothy was on active service, manning a strategic outpost of the Christian world. You see, Ephesus was located on an important highway, and the church in that city was a key center for evangelism. It was a post of honor. It was a post of honor to be there in Ephesus for Timothy, to stand in such a key central location, a post of honor, just like all of of you military folks who have been uh, posted here in Valdosta. It's a post of honor, right? You're excited to be here, all of our military folks. I mean, you'd rather be here than when you can retire and go to the mountains one day, right? You want to stay in Valdosta? Because it's a post of honor to be here. I hope you feel that way, because I love Valdosta. And we love you being here. It's hard when you leave us. We always want you to stay, but we know that's not in our hands. But it was a post of honor, and Timothy was there as Paul's handicapped representative. And there could be no thought of compromise or surrender for the soldier. He said, hey, man, guard your post. To all of us, we must guard our post. We have been called, set apart, to guard a post, to preach the gospel. We must not get caught up in the small things, get entangled, distracted with the concerns that are within the city walls. And this is not only, this was for the pastor, this is for pastors to know, but also for the parish, also for the congregation. You see, because we can get sidetracked many days when we lose our focus of what we've been called to do first and foremost. We get entangled with small things. We forget about the big, important matters while we're here. And, and we find it, and you know what happens when you get caught up in the small things? You say, how, how do I know if I'm caught up in the small things? Let me ask you this. Here's how you know if you've been caught up in the small things. When is the last time you shared Jesus Christ with someone? That's how you know if you've been caught up in small things. See, Brian, I'm a shy person. So was Timothy. Timothy. You know what Paul's telling him? Suffer for the gospel. So if you want to know if you've gotten caught up in small things, answer about this. When is the last time you shared the good news with someone? Speaking ideally, scripture and tradition should be interchangeable terms for what the church hands down from generation to generation should be the biblical faith, no more and no less, from John Stott. It's a great quote. So if we were to talk about the word, we could also say tradition. But when we talk about traditions, we talk about petty things. We talk about preferences. We're not talking about scripture. When we're talking about tradition, we're talking about the way we used to dress and what we used to sing and how we used to sing and, and, and what was comfortable to us, right? I mean, and now things are changing and we're thinking that we're losing it. No, because we're not losing it because this is what we're holding tightly to. God's word. This is the tradition we hold to. Maybe your traditions have been turned upside down, but maybe God wants them to be turned upside down because maybe, just maybe, you have lost your focus. Maybe I have lost my focus. And when times change around us, we are refocused when we come to what is truly the tradition that we hold tight to, and that is God's word. That's all of us. That's all of us in this room. Because the one who enlisted him, understand that we were enlisted by Jesus Christ. He's the one who has called us. He's the one who empowers us. And this will not end until death or when Christ comes back. 
So if we're here when Christ comes back, amen. But if not, until we die, we guard our post. We advance the gospel. And I know, I know we're thinking that any day Jesus Christ is coming back. Any day it must happen. You know, for generations and generations, they thought any day it will happen. And you know what? It may happen today. And if so, to God be the glory. You ready? Hmm. I want it to happen, but I'm not ready for it. Okay, so here's the deal. It's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. But until that time, we guard our post. We were kind of hesitant on that, weren't we? It's kind of like, you ready? I don't know. You ready? I'm not sure. Maybe it caused you to really think, didn't it? Are you ready? You ready for what's real? Are you living it out each day? There is no retiring from the gospel's call in our lives. Some of you will have the joy of, of retirement. Some of you will be forced to retire. And that's just from a job that you have here on this earth. But your, your number one position you will never retire from while you're here. You don't stop serving. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're, you're not valued anymore, that you don't hold a key role. Are you kidding me? Had a waitress come up to me on, on uh, Valentine's Day. We were smart. We went and ate like at 2 o'clock when nobody else would dare go eat. <laughs> like, come on, babe. Going to the outback. All right, so we're we're there and and uh, we're enjoying a good meal and and um, waitress comes up and she she introduced herself. She said, "Oh," and, and Curry called her ma'am. She said, "Oh, you don't have to call me ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. Just just call me by my first name." She said, "It makes me feel old." And I just thought, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Shouldn't there be honor in that? Shouldn't you be proud of that? Shouldn't you be thankful? You know, don't don't be ashamed of your age, but but understand, it's not time to retire. It's not time to retire till we're called up or, or, or we go home either one take joy in your age all of you in this room we never retire from the gospel and so we look at not only the soldier but we look at the athlete many of us would not consider ourselves athletes but Paul is calling to Timothy and he said you're like an athlete he said an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules so here's the question for you. Are you competing by your own rules? Are you competing by your own rules? Have you set your own standards in life for how you should live for Jesus? Have you made up your own rules? Because what good is it if an athlete would train for 10 months and then they would show up for the Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games back in this time frame and they love their sports like we love our sports and then they would show up and then they would cheat to get an advantage why cheat? Either it's ignorance or arrogance. Oh, I didn't know that was the rule. Or, you know, I knew that was the rule, but I wanted to get a competitive advantage, and I felt entitled to it. And that's what happens when we make shortcuts. We feel like we're entitled to this. Pastors can be put on the, on the poster of this, okay? I mean, a pastor can stand before you and preach and say you must do all of these things, but have this sense of entitlement because he's preached those things that he can kind of take off a little bit. No, that means that he should step it up even more. But sadly, we hear so many testimonies of pastors who have fallen out of the ministry because they felt entitled to not compete according to the rules because they were in private or they thought no one would find out or they felt like they had built up their ego to where they deserved it. What about you? 
Do you compete according to the gospel, according to the gospel's demands on your life? Or are you trying to shortcut that? Are you trying to make it easy? Paul's saying it's not easy. It's rigid training. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you must maintain yourself. You must every day look after yourself and, and, and training and what you eat and when you go to sleep and all. And then it comes for the, the big time to run the race. You, you don't want to be disqualified for that. And yet there have been many who have come before who have been disqualified because they lived according to their own rules in which they set. Sadly, when this happens, you, you, you receive no crown. You receive no crown when, when, when you cheat and when you make a different way. He's saying, no, 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 no. Those who live according to the gospel, they live fully according to the gospel. And the crown you have is set before you. Jesus Christ, he competed well. He competed well. And, and you know what he received? You received a crown of thorns. And he received those crowns of thorns so that one day, as you submit fully to the gospel, and that it has been fully lived out in you, and your time has come, you will be crowned in righteousness because of his righteousness placed on you. He competed well. And we must compete well within the rules. Do we make an exception for our lives? Are there things that we're entertaining in our lives because we feel like we're entitled to them? Entitlement. And this is what he's, he's pointing out. Hey, don't get distracted. Don't live with this sense of entitlement that it's okay for you, but not for everyone else. How do you know this? Just, just imagine this. Look, what, what are you demanding upon other people that you're not demanding of your own self? I think you can find that out. What do you expect of others that you don't expect of yourself? I get so mad when I'm going around town and people don't go at the green light. You know why they're not going? Because they're on their phone. And the other day, I was like, get off your phone, lady, and go. And then I put my phone down, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we have this sense of entitlement that people should behave according to our standards when we don't uphold those own standards in our lives. That we would live according to the gospel. We would not cheat due to ignorance or arrogance. Know what salvation requires of you. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, obey my commands. Boom, done them all, Jesus, I got it, okay? Well, I'm going to look into your heart and I'm going to call you out. Then go sell all you have and come follow me. Let's see if you really have any other gods before me or not. And he walked away sad and he walked away with his head down. You know why? Because he wanted to make his own rules. You don't make your own rules when it comes to competing for the crown of righteousness. You submit yourself fully to Christ and his standard for your life, the gospel's call to die to self and rise up and live in Jesus. Cost you everything. It does. Salvation costs you everything, everything you submit to Christ. And there should be joy in your heart when it happens. How he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We're singing that song and I'm, I'm just so filled with emotion and joy when we're singing that because, you know, I know he loves us and I submit everything in my life to Jesus Christ. I strive for that every day. God, take this, take that. Lord, I'm hanging on this. Take this away from me. I'm sorry, Lord, that I'm trying to hold on to it so tightly. Every day we give it away so that we will not create our own rules and miss out on living what he's called us to die and live to. And then this, are you a lazy servant? Are you a lazy servant? So we, we look, don't get distracted. Don't live with insensitive entitlement. And, and don't be lazy. He, he calls out the farmer here. He said, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And we see that there can be lazy farmers. 
Lazy farmers do exist. We see this in Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The slugger does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. In Proverbs 24, 30, and 31, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Why? Because you just don't plant a seed and say, okay, I'll see you when harvest time comes. No, you must cultivate. You must spend time in the field. If you're lazy, what do you expect to receive? He's saying, Timothy, don't be lazy. Don't get caught off guard. Don't get off track. Be like the hardworking farmer. Every day you must go to work. Every day you must preach the gospel. Every day you must pass it on to someone else. Keep going. We like to take days off, don't we? For some of us, our days off are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we're on on Sunday. I say, okay, I'll work that day. I'll come, I'll come. Give me the gospel, give it to me, okay? And you want that to last you all week and you never open up the word of God. You never advance the word of God. Christians, I'm talking to you. You never advance the word of God. And, and you're thinking, why, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like God didn't hear my prayers? Why do I feel so sluggish? Because you are sluggish. You're not serving him. Let's be honest. Let's just call it out. We're not to take any day off in serving Christ. We're be, to be like the hardworking farmer, every day understanding it's our responsibility, what we've called to do. And, and here's what can happen. Timothy can look around and he can see all of these who are forsaking the call of the gospel. They're running away and he's saying, hey, Timothy, uh-uh, don't be like that one. Don't be like that one over there. No, you're the hardworking farmer. You keep plowing in the midst of the storm. You see that storm coming, that persecution coming? Uh-uh, you plow your way straight towards it. Every day, we must live out the gospel's call. And you hear that and you say, that's, that's just not comfortable. That's not easy to swallow. Neither is the gospel. Because it calls you to die to all of your comfort, all of your pleasures, all of what you have set for your life. And understand it, it's what Christ has called you to live. So you must be the hardworking farmer, one who shows patience and perseverance. Someday the weather's going to be nice. Other days the, the weather's going to be... Uh, Rainy and, and maybe sleet in Valdosta, right? Okay, and so you, you never know what you're going to encounter in your spiritual life. Some days rainy, some days sunny. Every day faithful to, to seeing holiness and, and seeing new believers. This first share of the crops coming forth. So, man, I want to lead somebody to Jesus. You want to lead somebody to Jesus? Number one, search your heart. Do you want to lead somebody to Jesus so you can say you led somebody to Jesus? Or because you really want them to be found in Christ? But understand that if you want that to happen, it, it, you must go out and advance the gospel. You're sitting around and, and waiting for opportunities when there's an opportunity right now, today, for you to go share the gospel with someone. There's an opportunity. You say, hey, when I get that opportunity, I'll be ready. The opportunity is now. It's now. And then we look at this last question as we come to a close. Are you devoting yourself to prayer in the ministry of the Word? So he says, hey, don't, don't, don't be lazy don't live with a sense of entitlement. Don't get distracted. He's saying suffer for the gospel. So you need to have this attitude. You need to understand the attitude you must possess. And then think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in 
everything. We see prayer in the ministry of the word being joined together. Acts 6 verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You don't have one without the other. John Stott says this. We must not divorce what God has joined together. The understanding of scripture and a balanced combination of thought and prayer. Take God's word and read it and then stop and ponder God's word and and, and see the context in which it was written and then also how it applies to your life today. And then when you hit a struggling point, when you don't know where to go with it, you just get on your knees and you keep praying through it. God, reveal your word to me. Pray. When is the last time that you prayed and asked God to truly reveal his word to you? I can tell you this has been something that has been so real in my life over the past couple of weeks. In preaching the text last week, let me just tell you, church, those were some hard verses. I really struggled with that all week long. Really struggled with it. And it, I reached a point where I realized, man, how much prayer have I put into this? And it's when I got on my knees and began to pray that it just began to open up and God says, here it is. Here's what you preach. Prayer and contemplating God's word, studying his word. We must have both of these things. If we're going to suffer for the gospel, if we're going to be strong, if we're not going to live with a sense of entitlement, if we're not going to get distracted, if we're not going to be lazy, you must submit to this right here. We need God's word desperately. You can't live with Christ without abiding to his word. Because then you make up your own Jesus. You make up your own rules, which leads to a disqualification, which when it comes time of testing, you flee. No, those who follow Christ Jesus submit to his word and they weather the storm. They keep plowing the field. They keep competing according to the rules. They stand their post. They suffer for the gospel. In closing, we're to suffer for the gospel. We must remain in Christ as we suffer for the gospel. And by his grace, you will be strengthened from the inside out. Take the gospel torch and pass it on to faithful men. The torch will move forward until the grand torch is lit on that day. Don't focus on the suffering itself, but on the responsibilities in the midst of suffering. Do not neglect your first responsibility. Take joy in remaining a faithful soldier for Christ the King and his kingdom. Live according to the gospel and his calling upon your life. Put away any hint of entitlement. Work hard and savor the taste of the first share of the crops while devoting yourself daily to prayer and the ministry of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for prayer, which we call upon you now. Thank you that we can suffer for the gospel. This is the good news. Lord, our lives are temporary, but a vapor. It's like a tent, Lord. It's, it's fading away due to the effects of sin in this world, but we await a new body. We await a new day. Lord, we are excited for what is to come. Lord, most importantly, what drives us to suffer for the gospel is your great love. Lord, may we love you regardless of what the weather may be. May we be faithful to serve you every day. May we pass on the gospel. May we reach the 12. 
May we be unashamed of the gospel. May we guard it. May we suffer for it for your glory. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you say, hey, you're talking about suffering for Christ and I haven't even given my life over to him. And today I want to follow Jesus Christ. He comes by this saying, hey, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of your righteous demands. Forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus Christ upon the cross. May he be my Lord and Savior. You're just taking what's in your heart, the belief you have in your heart, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. If you believe that in your heart, just call out to him. Say, Lord, forgive me. I want to repent. I want to turn. I want to be your follower. We would love to meet with you today. If you're, if you're pondering that, if, if you're even calling upon God right now, we would love to to meet with you today. We're we're standing in the back, so as the music begins in just a moment, we would love to meet with you. We have some pastors standing in the back. I myself will be standing in the back. We have some counselors in the back that would love just to meet with you. We have some rooms back there that we can go to just to talk about Jesus. But don't just put this aside. This is what's most important in your life here on earth is what's going through your heart and mind right now, Jesus Christ. We would love to meet with you in just a moment. You come back, you talk with us, say, hey, I want to follow Jesus Christ. To those of you who are interested in church membership, you you would love to plant yourselves here and and be active in sharing the gospel and enjoying the fellowship. Then we would love to talk with you in the back as well, just about uh, church membership and get you signed up for this next class coming. But You'd be obedient to how God calls you. Maybe you just want to spend some time in prayer and you want to come forward and pray or at your seat you want to pray. Maybe at this time you you want to sing, and we're going to stand to sing as well, but we trust that you will move as, as God so leads you. But are you willing to suffer for the gospel? May we contemplate that. May we call upon the Lord as we continue to worship. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, may we continue to worship you. We ask that you do a work by the power of the Holy Spirit to save and call. In Jesus' name.